you going? No, man. You got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Morning. You're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. Not mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, TwitX, and actually YouTube today, but I'm not so sure. Well, maybe we'll get another strike there. But anyway, then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and BitChute, because we're on YouTube today. Uh, just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's the road to concord.com. That's where you'll find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email professor at joe at the road to concord.com. He's a little slow right now, and he has some comprehension problems, too. So he yeah, sometimes, I got to get that squid to translate yeah, back yeah, into Marine sometimes for he me. He has to, you know, email you and say, What was this all about? Uh, Whiskey Tango but, Foxtrot over. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to go there, but you did. So, okay. Well, he's speaking nuclear physicist and I'm still on crayon. So, <laughs> uh, phones are on today, but only for registered numbers. If you wish to call in and are a regular classmate, you may request phone access through an email. If you find a class is helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them that Joe is a crayon, I mean, uh, uh, an acquired taste. And uh, this show is listener-sponsored, meaning we do not solicit business advertising because it wouldn't do any good. But it also doesn't limit us in the content we provide for y'all. With that said, we do ask for your participation on a value-for-value basis. If you find our show of value to you, then you provide an equivalent portion of your labor and treasure through the donut link on the Road to Concord blog page, the show description on Rumble, and in the comments on the other streams. And thank you to all of you who do provide support for this show. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. Well, we might get a strike today, Charlie, because before the end of the day is over, I'm going to introduce you to another one of those people that they try to hide from you and they don't want you to know about. Oh, I'm sorry, people. Excuse me. Oh, God. That was very rude. I apologize. I am very sorry. I've got to get that dump button. I I will always struggle with lung problems, breathing problems. I'm not going to tell you where and when it came from. I know what had happened. I just got to listen to Charlie and, and BB and get to the VA, and they probably won't help me either, but, you know, whatever. Anyway, today's class. Oh, wow. I am sorry about that earlier. I see the title. We, we don't have a whole bunch of people checking in just yet. Maybe the title put people off. Don't want to talk about the meaning of words, what it means to be human. Wait till I introduce you to one of the leading ethicists in, in the Western world as to what it means to be human and what he has to say about that. That'd be 
second half of class. First half of class, I want to talk to you about, you know, what are the building blocks of language? Words. You know, sentences are made up of words, words are made up of letters and all this other stuff. But how often do we actually stop? And I mean, I want to have a philosophical conversation with you today. How, how often do we actually stop and think about what is a word and why does it matter what it means? And as we get going into this today, you're going to find out that um, yeah, I'm going to differ with the quote-unquote experts a little bit here and there. You'll see as we get going here. The, the Tower of Babel. Eh, mm, sort of, kind of. Probably looked a little bit more like that, only bigger. Not that that matters or anything, but, you know, this is, you know, that's a nice tower you got there. It'd be a shame if somebody came down and... But you didn't understand that? Well, why not? That's because the noises I was making doesn't associate with anything that you've learned before, right? You know, what the heck are you talking about? You're babbling. Exactly. Or a babble. You've met this man before. Anybody remember him? This is John freaking Dewey. It's got a quote here, folks. This is part of, if you pay attention today, this is how to speak progressive ease 101. It's part of what you're going to be learning today. John Dewey said, everyone has experienced how learning an appropriate name for what was dim and vague cleared up and crystallized the whole matter. Some meaning seems distinct, almost within reach, but is elusive. It refuses to con condense into definite form. And then, then attaching a word somehow, just how is almost impossible to say, puts limits around the meaning, draws it out of the void, and makes it stand out as an entity on its own account. Okay. What the heck is this moron saying? And I do mean moron. He's he's seen as the only true philosopher man that uh, America has produced so far. But he's a moron because he's got things, in my my opinion, he's got things backwards, 100% backwards of what they should be. So what do I mean by that? Well, he's telling you that it is possible to have this idea in your head that you can't quite can't quite grasp until I give you a word for it. And then once I give you the word for it, all of a sudden now it's clear in your head. That's not the way it works. You get the idea in your head and then you assign a word to it. Now, how can I prove that to you? What, Joe, Dewey's smarter than you. Really? Okay. I want you to get the picture in your head of this furry, kind of little cuddly, four-legged long-tailed creature with these whiskers and it purrs and it meows and it likes to play with cats and I mean with mice you know once you get that picture in your head now gato see now you finally know that it's a cat because I told you the word is gato wait a minute cat gato those are two different things Joe well did the image in your head just change because I called it a gato instead of a cat or how about if I say it's feline does it change? Does the, does the image in your head change because I gave you a different word? Because those three words are not the same. So the image in your head can't possibly be the same if the word defines the image. This man is wrong. I want to prove it to you. 
supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah, y'all know the song? That's a real word. Y'all know what it means now? You sort of kind of had the vague idea in your head. I just gave you the word. Y'all know what it means now, right? Well, come on, man. John Dewey's smarter than everybody else in the world. He just told us that once you have the word, you know what it means, right? No. Which is more proof that that's not how words work. Well, this is from Wikipedia. The word meaning what, what supercalifragilisticexpialidocious means. It's a compound word. And it's said by Richard Letterer in his book, Crazy English, to be made up of these words. Super, meaning above. Cali, meaning beautiful. Fragilistic, um, meaning delicate. Expiali, which is mean to atone. And docious, it means educable. With all these parts combined, meaning atoning for being educable through delicate beauty. Yeah, what, whatever. The Oxford English Dictionary first records the word with a spelling of supercalifragilistic expialidocious in the column titled A Musings by Helen Herman in the Syracuse University Daily Orange, dated March 10th, 1931. In the column, Herman states that the word implies all that is grand, great, glorious, splendid, superb, and wonderful. Those are two different definitions. And yet, they're the same. <gasps> no, not really, Joe. One has a W in it. I thought just giving me the word tells me what the word means, what the thing is. No, 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 no. Doesn't work that way, folks. <coughs> Charlie. I'm having a bad day, folks. I apologize. I think Charlie hit the button for me. I'm sorry. I'm fighting this. Hopefully, it'll be worth your worth putting up with me today. Webster's 1828 Dictionary. I went to Webster's for a reason. The, the definition or the meaning of word. What does word mean? It's an articulate or vocal sound or a combination of articulated and vocal sounds uttered by the human voice and by custom expressing an idea or ideas a single component part of human speech or language. Thus, in English is a, A in English is a word, but few words consist of one letter only. Most words consist of two or more letters, as go, do, shall, called, monosyllables, or two or more syllables as honor, goodness, amiable, etc., etc. It's also the letter or letters, written or printed, which represent the sound or combination of sounds. Well, I don't like this definition. Why? Well, according to them, it has to be uttered by the human voice. So if a computer tells me, want to play a game, that's not a word anymore because it wasn't the human voice. It's written using letters. Okay, that, that could be a word. If it's spoken, that could be a word. What if it's pictorial? What if it's a pictograph? Pictographs can impart meaning. And they can, uh, hieroglyphics are nothing more than pictographs. They might and might not have a sound associated with them. Um, a lot of Asian, uh, you know, Japanese, Chinese, you know, some of these languages, those are pictographs. We call them kanjis or whatever, but they're pictographs. So even if it's a written word, if it's a carved word, if it's a painted symbol, for me, a word is any label that has a common 
commonly understood meaning that is assigned to a concept or idea. Now, this is going to be more complicated than most people might realize. And I'm going to try to make this as simple as I can because it's important that we understand this idea. Word. Word is the label. It's just the tag, W-O-R-D, or however I want to spell it, or however I want to picture it. It's nothing more than a symbol. It's a label that I attach to the concept or the idea of the simplest building block of language or in in language, just being conveying an idea. Okay. We're not even going to, I don't want to define language. I don't want to get too down into the weeds with this, but the word word is the simplest thing that a word is the simplest thing that we can get to with language. We're not talking about letters because letters make up the word. And I know it's connected to language, but that's, that's not what we're getting at. A, A word is the simplest thing that can contain an idea. Okay, or it can be used to label to an idea. So if you're looking at W-O-R-D, W doesn't have an idea, O doesn't contain the idea, R doesn't, D doesn't. But when I put them together in that order, that's the that contains the idea of a thought or an idea or a concept, a label, a symbol for that thought or concept or label. Now, according to Dewey, just by telling you word, now you understand that whole concept and label and you know the whole thing. Really? And it brings it into sharp, clear focus. Really? Well, we're about to see how that doesn't work that way. It also matters that we all know what the, the symbol actually refers to. Because if, okay, word, it can mean a spoken, written, or symbolic utterance or whatever to, used can stand in the place of an idea. Okay. It can also mean, Hey, what's the word? You know, what, what is the decision from the higher ups? And you're like word up. It's just a stupid saying. We say it doesn't really have a meaning or the word could be the Messiah, you know, from the Bible, the word can mean many things. And it's usually context that'll tell us what, how, what the label that we're calling a word, what's that label mean? What's it refer to context is everything here, right? Otherwise, you fall into the fallacy of, what's it called, boys and girls? Charlie, you know what happens if we're using the same word for many different concepts? Equivocation. Equivocation. So when I say we are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America, I can have 500 million people thinking different ideas. I have a question. Yes, sir. Many words have multiple meanings. Like you just talked about word where, you know, it can be, you know, word as we usually use it traditionally it can refer to messiah it can refer to a higher authority yep and all these things is that equivocation even though it actually does have different meanings because it context defines in that case but equivocation is when you intentionally or accidentally use the same word to talk about something else and your audience doesn't see when you switched Usually equivocation will be like, we're talking about word and the definition of word. And like the word said, he's the truth and the light. So within the context of that example just now, I switched from the meaning of a word to the Messiah without telling you I did that. 
equivocation is usually done within the context of a of a limited focus of your conversation. It's a wordplay. It's like bait and switch in in um, advertising. So a lot of times equivocation is done intentionally by the uh, by the speaker, and they don't. They're doing that on purpose, but it can happen accidentally. And we can invoke equivocation, like if you're reading the Book of Romans with Paul, and every time you see the word law. Yeah. If you're not paying attention to the context, you're going to equivocate. Paul's not. You are. That's a good example there. Yeah, because Paul tells you, I'm talking to people who know the Torah well. Because this is one of the problems you have when you translate between languages. Yes. Because you have trouble. Even when we're using English, how many times do I have to explain to the class that let me translate progressive into English? (laughs) Right, right. And I'm not, I'm not laughing about this. They use a diff, they use English language, but they use a different, they have different meanings. It's a different language, even though it's using English words. Um, case in point that you don't, you'd understand perfectly. How many civilians would understand you when you were in the air force, if you were talking to your higher ups about something with all the jargon and acronyms yeah, we use. Right, yeah. When you're first in the military, it takes a while to learn the language. Sounds like English. But it isn't, not really. It's military jargonese. Um, in the 70s, jive. Sounded like English. That was a whole different language, man. Um, if we don't understand each other, we're back at the Tower of Babel. So do you have anything else, Charlie? I didn't mean to... No, 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 That that's good. That helps helps to clarify it because that's what I was, you know... Well, have you ever... can have multiple definitions that actually do work, but then you can switch between them. Like you said, so we don't often have callers here, so we don't, you don't see me do this too often, but you've been around me off, off air too. But have you ever noticed? And a lot of times I know this goes right by people. They don't pay attention to it, but have you ever noticed when I'll sometimes ask people, what do you mean by that? Oh yes. You do that a lot. Yeah. Okay. So you have (laughs) noticed I do that. You know what I'm doing? I'm not trying to be ugly. I want to make sure I understand how you're using the word or what your concept is. Otherwise, if I assume I know, we all know how to spell that word, right? Yes. So I will stop people and ask them, okay, what do you, what do you mean by that? How, how, do, how are you defining that term? This is not trivial, folks. Everything we do in the form of human communication hinges on the meaning of this, the label we assigned to our communication. There is no way you'd be able to understand me Right now, you'd have no idea what I'm talking about if you and I hadn't come been taught to agree on the meaning of these words. So you want a perfect example of what I'm talking about? Bill Clinton, when he was being impeached. Well, it depends on the meaning of what is, <laughs> what is. What the definition of is, is. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but the law commonly refers to the definition of is, in that case, as a state of being. Say, well, you know, it's not the same when I say what it is. Yeah, but what it is is a phrase, not a word. So it's kind of like W-O-R-D means nothing individually. But when I put them all together in that order, now it has a meaning. What it is, what it is means something entirely different than the sum of what it and is. Okay. What it is, is either an interrogative or a declaratory. You're either asking a question or you're telling somebody something. But in the colloquialism, in the figure of speech we use, 
it can be something entirely yes. different. You know, it's what's happening? Idiom. What's going on? Yeah. It's an idiom. But that's not what Clinton was doing. Clinton was playing a game. Yeah, he was playing progressive. Right. He was obfuscating. And he was intentionally equivocating. And everybody bought it because they thought, oh, look how smart he is. No, he wasn't being smart. He was, he was being an idiot to an intelligent person. But if you don't understand language and how it works, you don't know how to fight back against this. You don't know how to push back. You don't need to know. You, it'll be hard for you to explain to others why you're rejecting their idiocy. It, it's the same thing with logic and reason. If you come at me and you're giving me an argument for something and you're using totally unsound, invalid, irrational reasoning full of fallacies, Joe's going to go off with you. Well, why? Well, Joe can start telling you exactly why I don't want to listen to you. Uh, hopefully, if you're with us long enough, you'll start learning how to do some of this. Well, the same thing is with logic. I mean, with language is with logic. Language has 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 the rules. And in logic, by definition, is one of the bedrock rules. That's what the word means. You can't argue with it. You can disagree with it and try to redefine it like I'm doing with what does word mean? Well, in their fairness, you know, when Webster wrote this, we didn't have talking machines yet, but we do now. So he would have expanded his de definition. I have no doubt. But at the same time, if you go look at definitions for word, W-O-R-D, how do you define W-O-R-D? You're going to find that they don't all agree. In fact, I couldn't find an easy one to bring you today. That's why one of the reasons I went back to 1828 Dictionary. I was reading definition of word and they got all stupid crazy with it. And it's, it's not necessary, especially for the common person. We don't need to make things as complicated as they were doing, but we, we as common individuals, this is a discussion that we should have had in grade school. Our teachers we're smart enough at five, six, seven, well, seven, eight, nine years old. You're smart enough to have this level of a conversation of what a word means, or at least you can be made that smart. If you're being demanded to grow up mentally, we'll get to that next, next second, second half of the class. Let's, let's move on to the next one here. Let me pop this back up here. That's the definition of word. Now, what is a definition? What is the definition of definition? Yeah, 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 I know. It sounds crazy, right? Again, Webster's Dictionary. It says a brief description of a thing by its properties as a definition of wit or of a circle in logic it's the expl uh, explication of the essence of a thing by its kind indifference aha that's he just gave me the, the 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 definition of definition i like but we'll get to that it's in lexicog in lexicography it's an explanation of the significance of a word or a term in other words linguistics or what a word or understood to express etc 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 even that's kind of that that's the dictionary from 1828. These people are using bigger words than we do today. Yeah. And somehow or another, we're smarter than they are. Yeah. Right. Whatever. What's the definition of a definition? The definition is the description of the form and function to which a label is assigned. That's the definition of a definition. It, it doesn't have to be this complicated. It can be easier. It is the description of the form and the function 
of a thing to which the label, the word, is assigned. So the meaning of the word, whatever label, that I, you know, whether it's written, whether, whether it's spoken, whether it's done in a picture, the meaning of that symbol is, is described by the form and function of the concept or the idea or the thing to which the label or symbol is assigned. I know. Joe, this is all just, uh, what's it matter? What's this? It's a cup. No, it's a tumbler. No, it's a, a, it's a chalice. All three technically are true. I could also say it's yellow and it's metal. With a plastic top and a plastic straw. There's I, a snake on it. Yeah, there's a snake on it. I could also <laughs> say it's a container. Now, all of this is true, but what is it? Uh-huh. Not so easy anymore, is it? Now, here's one of the problems we have. Remember the picture I did for you? Person says it's a six. The other says, no, it's a nine because they're looking at the number from two different ends. You know, one from the six and one from the nine angle. And they get in a fight. I ask you what this is. There's five of us in the room and five of us, oh, it's a mug, it's a tumbler, it's a chalice, it's a, it's a, a, a whatever you want to call it. And we get in a fight. Why? Because you got to think the way I think. And if you don't, you're wrong. That's human nature coming into the way of our language. So the next thing you know, you're talking at each other, not to each other. And you're abusing the concept of language. Whereas if we worry about definitions, I say, what is this? And you say, well, it's a mug. It's a chalice. It's a, it's a container. It's a, cup it's a cooler or whatever i'd say yep because every one of you is right and if you told me well it's yellow yep you're right too it's kind of like the the guys with their hands on the blind men with the hands on the elephant the trunk the leg the side the ear the tail everybody's got a different description yep you're all right you're also all wrong this is what adjectives are for modify the meaning of the word. We're going to get some practical application here in a minute. Um, and you're going to understand why this is important. And hopefully I'll get you to understand just how difficult it is to, for a philosopher, somebody who spends their days, wastes their day, however you want to look at it, you know, thinking about these things. Cause dude, you, you go back and read Socrates, Plato and Aristotle trying to define what a definition is they spend an entire book arguing over it and none of the three of them agree and they never get anywhere. So I got one more definition for you. Whoops. That's not what I wanted to do. Form before we get going any further, a form it's the shape or the external appearance of a body. This is also from Webster's 1828. It's the figure as defined by lines and angles, that manner of being peculiar to each body which exhibits it to the eye as distinct from every other body. Thus, we speak of the form of a circle or the form of a square, the form of a triangle, a circle, uh, form the form of the head of, of the human body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they give us a couple of uh, examples down here from scripture as well. And this is, this is how the 1828, this is just history lesson as well. So form is basically... What's it look like? What's it made out of? What's it taste like? What's it feel like? You know, that type of the census, right? 
So that's that's form. The senses are form. What else do we have? We've got one others. Webster's Dictionary for function. In a general sense, the doing, executing, or performing of anything, discharge, performance, as the function of a calling of an office more generally, et cetera, et cetera. They had a, that, that definition works, but I don't like it. Especially if you don't, if, you, if you're not accustomed to their language, that's not going to make a lot of sense to you. So this time I used word Nick. Function, the action or purpose for which a person or thing is suited or employed. So that's its function. What do you do with it? Form, what's it look like? What's it made out of? What's it taste like? What's it smell like? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Function, what's it supposed to do? What does it do? What, what, what do you do with it? What do you use it for? Form and function define. Unfortunately, there are, as you will see in the second half of this class, there are people who only think form or function define. And oh boy, wait till you understand how big of a problem this causes. Incidentally, I didn't plan for the class you're going to get today. I was just grabbing two things out of thin air that I thought would, eh, this will be easy. <laughs> just wait. I was following the Holy Spirit's bouncing ball again, and he led me right down the happy primrose path into, wow, that's a lesson. You want to be here for the second half of this one, boys and girls. And it just so happens that until you get through this one, the second one won't make as much an impact on you. But if you've been through this, the first hour, when we get to the second, oh, am I going to rock your world with something I'm going to show you? And it's all about definitions, form and function, not form. You don't give a definition to something just on its form, function as well, must be, has to be both. You'll understand why in the next hour. Okay, so pencil. John Dewey says, you now know everything you need to know about a pencil. It just came into concrete understanding in your mind, right? Might be something like what you just thought of, right? Okay, what's the form of the pencil? Well, it's made out of wood. I forgot to put this in there, but you know, kind of in this case, hexagonal shape could be round, could be square. It's got a graphite core. It's sharpened on this end and it's got a rubber tip on the other end. It's got a metal barrel there holding the two together. It's yellow in color. It's got black descriptive writing on it. Tells me what type of pencil it is. You know, it's got, it's a measure of how, how hard the graphite is and how hard the wood is. And it's, got a measurement of so long, et cetera, et cetera. So however, you know, you could describe this thing forever and ever on end. So that's the form, form of a pencil, right? And the function, I use to write, I use it to draw, I use it to mark. I could do a lot of other things with it, but that's not what it's designed for. It used to be once upon a time, it was a tape rewinder. Y'all ever had cassette tapes? You know, you put it in the hole and you spin it around to rewind your tape. You know, especially when the tape got drug out, you bring it back in. You can also use your pencil for other purposes for which it wasn't designed. Oh, yep, yep, uh, booby egg in there. Sorry. But yeah, L let me ask you a question though. There's pencil, right? Isn't that a pencil? Yes, it is. Original pencils even had lead in them. They, they used lead instead of uh, yep. graphite. But now, what type of pencil is that? For the most part, when you think pencil, that's pencil. It could be round, black, whatever. But that's what you're going to think of as a pencil. 
So we call this a mechanical pencil to differentiate from this to pencil. It is still got the same function. It's just got a different form now. But notice, this is where it's important, boys and girls. Different form, same function, which means it's still pencil. Form and function together. This is logic. In logic, you have prepositions. You know, little we've we've done this in class, so hopefully you were here. You'll you'll make a statement in an argument. It's called a preposition. Either this or that. It's an either or statement. A definition rests on either or. And when you get really complicated in logic, you can go either or or both. It can all be one statement. But in this case, either the form or the function must be present to meet the, de meet the definition or both. But you have to have at least one. So what we have here to meet the definition is we have its purpose. But it's also, th this mechanical pencil also has the form. It has a general form. It's just missing a few things. This one's made out of plastic and it's black, but it's still about yay long, got eraser one on one end, pointed sharpened on the other with you know graphite in the center. It's still got descriptive writing, et cetera, et cetera. So it has the look of a pencil. It's not exactly the same as a yellow wooden pencil, but it's got sort of kind of the look and it has the exact same function. What about this one? That's a drafting pencil. Looks a lot like a mechanical pencil. Well, technically it is a mechanical pencil, but that's an even more specific, special, you know, specialized drafting uh, mechanical pencil. That's a drafting pencil. It has a very similar form to the yellow pencil. Same exact purpose to draw, to mark. What about those? Well, Joe's, those are just pencils. No, those aren't. Those are artists' pencils. Those are very different than a normal, regular pencil. All of those leads are very different hardness, very different qualities and traits. So that's a specialized wooden pencil. What's that? Well, those are colored pencils. And you recognize all of these as pencil. Kind of like I could do this with chair too, you know, where you got to put adjectives in front of it. That is a carpenter's pencil. And the only thing that's different between it and the yellow pencil is there's no eraser or barrel. And it's not, it's it's kind of oblong in shape, not round or, or hexagon. That's so that they won't roll. These make great marking pencils when you're building things. What's that? That's a grease pencil. Still for writing and marking. All of these are pencil, right? But they don't all have the exact same description, so they don't have the same form, but they have the exact same function. Now, if I'm Greek, and I'm a, one of the problems that the, the Greek philosophers had is they worried more about what it looked like. In a Greek mind, that, and that, and that, and that, and that, and that, and that, whoop, that, are all different somehow. They're all different. They have the same function, but they're all different. Mm, Hebrew mind, they're all the same exact thing. Because the Hebrew tends to look at what way you do with it. Greek, what's it look like? I'm telling you, you got to do both. If you don't do both, you can't always, your definition won't encompass everything that you need to encompass. 
Comment on the board from Jason. It says, listening after all this time, I find people really don't say what they mean. I think we've lost the ability to communicate through speaking. Me included. Yes. And in large part, yes, Jason. Yes. And that was intentional. And hold on to the second hour. Oh, boy. Hold on. I, 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 I was shocked at just how well I allowed myself to be used today. So I want to ask you a question. What's that mean? The word is weapon. What's the definition? I'll tell you what. Don't give me the definition of weapon. Give me the form of weapon. What is the form of a weapon? <laughs> Pencil, right? What is the weapon in that picture? Is it the pencil or is it the character of John Wick? Yes. Both. The man's the weapon, but he's also the one who makes the pencil into a weapon. I've told you this before. It's a story from a science fiction book, Northworld. This mercenary, violent man, he gets stranded on this island it's an artificial i mean not island this planet artificial planet it's a diosphere and it's run by an artificial intelligence and the planet is designed such that no weapons can exist the artificial intelligence makes all weapons disappear there's going to be total peace on this planet well this guy gets in a fight and i think he uses his chair one time or whatever and the chair disappears and then he uses a stick or something i don't remember what it was but the stick disappears after about three or four times of this, the planet catches on and makes him disappear because he was the weapon. And this is why the left and the right don't see eye to eye on gun control. Yes, right wing, the gun is a weapon. Yes, left wing, the gun is a weapon, but... It takes the person to turn it into something deadly. Man is a weapon. Pencil is a tool. Yes, Clay. See, now you're learning how the words work. Now you're being very specific. I'm still correct saying that they're both weapons. But you're being more specific, which means you are going to be better understood. You're going to express yourself more clearly, and it'll be very difficult for people to start manipulating you because you're exact with your language and you're going to hold to the definitions. And whenever they try to wander off with a different definition, you're going to grab them by the nostrils and drag them back to the one you meant. And it will frustrate them. And pretty soon they'll be calling you names, you know, ad hominem personal attack, the last vestige of the defeated scoundrel. But anyhow, so the left looks at the gun and thinks that's the only problem. Form form is the problem. The right looks at the person and says, that's the problem with gun violence. Function. Huh? Function. The person is the one who puts function to the gun. The gun is useless on its own. Yes, its function is to shoot, but it can't shoot itself. You still need a person to put into that, to, to function. See, inherent in our definition of pencil was that you write with it. You draw with it. You mark with it. It was a tool, like Clay just said. So notice what happens. The left, form, form, form. The right, function, function, function. We come along and we go, form and function. So without one or the other, it's not a weapon. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. What's the definition of weapon? 
the human being is going to be a weapon, even without the gun, which is why if I take all the guns away, there'll still be murder. And this is why the left doesn't understand. They don't understand language. And they don't understand logic because they reject the natural laws which govern them both. They want what they want to be true. And this is why the left's language, like they think they can speak things into existence. Because I want it, all I got to do is say it, and it becomes true. A man is now a woman. You're bat crap crazy. By definition. Because you believe that which is objectively false. Ooh, yeah, because you put form and function together with that. You're in trouble. Y'all seeing how this works? This is not nothing. I know that Rush Limbaugh and a couple other people, they're, they're really famous for saying, well, words mean things. Oh, whoopee-doo. Anybody can say that. What do they mean? And why do they mean it? And why is it important? They never answered those questions. I don't know if it's because they thought that that's bad radio and they just got to get that money, 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 and they don't want you to tune out. Or maybe they just didn't understand it. I don't know. Maybe it didn't suit their purpose. I don't know. I can't ask Russia anymore. He's gone. And I really wouldn't bother asking him anyhow, even if I could, because it's irrelevant to me. It doesn't matter. I can only handle what I handle. You tune in here. I'm not coming to you into your house. You came here to us. And what am I trying to teach today? I'm trying to explain to you that this is a building block that every human being should spend a little more time with. And classmate Clay Toller has already explained to you by saying, okay, the pencil's a tool. Yes, but by definition, it's also a weapon. Any, anything that can be used to commit an act of violence, it's both a tool and a weapon. See, form and function. A definition can cover more than one concept. One, one word can cover many things as long as the definition fits. So Clay Toller again, he says, it's the same as the left saying Trump orchestrated an insurrection by changing the meaning of his words. Oh, they didn't even change the meaning of his words. They lied about his words. He told everybody to go home. What they did was change the meaning of insurrection. Insurrection is a violent force of arms intended to overthrow a duly elected government. One, the current seating government was not duly elected. Two, it was not a violent force of arms meant to overthrow the government, but rather to seat the properly elected one. And three, it wasn't the opposing force that did it. It was their own people instigating it and entrapping people. It does not meet the form or the function. The function was a false flag attack to give them an excuse to act as though what they claim happened really did happen when it didn't. See, that, that's how you cut through this stuff. When you've spent some time understanding form and function and how it works. On the other hand, you look at BLM and the riots. They used force of arms. They used weapons. They used destruction. They used, they'd also met the definition of terrorism. They had stated that their job, their goal was to overthrow this country as it was established because it was a racist country. And they, they did. That was an insurrection by definition. It was also domestic terrorism. And I don't know why we have to put domestic on there. It was terrorism. 
and it was funded by one political party. And since it was supported and defended by that political party and their propaganda arm, the left is guilty of sedition. By definition. This is not, well, that's just the way you see it, Joe. No, it's by definition. And this is why whenever we're talking logic and you hear me stressing by definition, you don't get to argue with that if you're going to use logic. Logics, everything in logic is built on definitions. I mean, most everything starts right there by a definition. So if I tell you that by definition, that right there, that picture right there, that yellow number two pencil, by definition, that's a pencil. By everything that you might see, every all its form and function, by definition, that's pencil. And then you come around and you tell me, well, no, Joe, a banana is a pencil. No, it's not. You say, well, look, I can kind of write with it. I can smear on the wind. No, no, that's called a smear. You're not writing. You can't put that on. You and I both understand what we mean by writing. You can't draw with a banana. You understand what I mean by draw. Can't mark with a banana. Not in the way we're talking about. You see, you instinctively know the form and the function we're talking about. But if you get somebody who comes and says, look, I can put the banana on the ground and mark the spot. See, it's a, it's a pencil, Joe. Get away from me, you irrational moron. I mean, that's how progressives think. Because I gave it a different word, I changed its essence. What that is, folks, is hubris of a colossal scale. Mr. Holt on the board says, having at you a recommendation, Joe, read a lot of the founder's writings. I was shocked at how well these men could articulate their thoughts and communicate their position so masterfully. What happened to us, Joe? John freaking Dewey. Literally, James, it was John Dewey. He said that the child who is taught how to think for themselves disrupts and upsets the world which we're trying to make. And he started to use the elementary and grade schools to do what Woodrow Wilson was using the colleges to do, program the population to be good little drones, excuse me, to do what they were told. We've read his words on this show before, right out of his My Pedagogical Creed, you know, his book on how to teach our kids. He freaking said it. He even said that the he, man is his own God and the teacher is going to be the prophet of his new religion. It was all to dumb us down. John Dewey's the reason you don't have the natural sciences anymore. They condensed it all down into civics and and and, and the natural sciences. It used to be geography, uh, geology, uh, meteorology. You had to have each course. Now that's all just one course, and you get a couple of days in each one. Used to be an entire course in class. But now, what, what do you do with all that time that you've just freed up? They give you basket weaving, and, and Janie has two mommies, and all that other garbage that's in the class. They're programming our children to be dumb. These classes, what I'm giving you today, today, this, this, this show, this is a college-level class nowadays. This right here was known by every student back in the, uh, around the 1900s, the, the turn of the century, between the 19th and 20th century. Every eighth-grade student knew what we're talking about right now. Every eighth-grade student understood this in the eighth grade. But this, what we're doing right now, this is college-level course. So, yeah, Mr. Holt, what the heck happened to us? And this is part of that thinking that if I just give it a different, you know, pencil, a banana can be a pencil. Really? Then why don't you call the banana a pencil? Okay, Joe, it's a pencil now. Can you eat that banana? Yep. 
can I eat that? Well, you can. Well, you're but it isn't eater. food. <laughs> I'm a crayon eater, yeah, but crayons are made out of wax. By the way, is a crayon a pencil? Yes. No. Yeah, it is. It's just a wax pencil. Ah, there you go. And it's so different that we give it a different name. Just like a pen would be an ink pencil. But because it's so much different or so much common, more common, we give it a different name. We specialize it. And the problem we have is that there are people in the world that if you just look at the function, you think the, you think crayon, pen, and pencil are all the same. And they do. I, I happen to know somebody like that in my own family. If you tell him chair, he can't differentiate between a recliner, a rocker. And all, they're all chair to him. In his mind, they're all a chair. All He's got a picture of a chair in his head, and that's how he sees it. So if you tell him a different eyes chair, he may not necessarily go to where you're wanting to go. It's the way he thinks. Some people, it's all about the way it looks. So if I color this pencil black, it became a different thing. But to those who us, to those of us who have done a little bit of work in our minds and we understand that form and function define, then what happens is you start understanding things that human language cannot define. And this is true. I've read Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates all wrestling with how to come up with a definition. And those three Greek philosophers do deal with function and form. And none of them could come up with an operative definition that they were happy with. Quill is a pen or a pencil. Yes, exactly. It's it's a pencil in the form that, you know, you can write with it and everything, but does it fit the form? No, because it's a feather and because it's using ink. So is it a pen? Is a quill a pen? Well, see? This can get fun. This is also why sometimes, like if you're dealing with me, I'll use a word because I only want the loose definition. And I'm not going to say writing instrument because most people think I'm really crazy about that. So I'll just say, you know, if I'm wanting to talk about a quill, I might say pen. I'm in the ballpark. I'm closer to a to a pen with a, you know, when I if I'm talking about a quill, the word pen is closer to the quill than a pencil is. But sometimes I use lo loose words. Loose definition, you know, words with loose definitions, because I, I expect the person I'm talking to to follow me. And that's my mistake. Sometimes you don't. I don't mean that you're not intelligent. Don't give me, don't, don't, don't do that. I'm not trying to be condescending. I'm saying I just, sometimes I think the other party I'm talking to is following tracking with me. So I just throw the word out there, assuming that you kind of got the idea of what I'm talking about and you don't, and you'll get caught on that. And next thing I know, I've lost you and we're not communicating anymore. My fault. I used a word I shouldn't have used. I threw you off because I was being loosey-goosey with my language. See, there's another one. Loosey-goosey. What's that mean? You understand it's a colloquialism. It means, eh, whatever, kind of. You know, it, it, it's 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 a nondescript, nonspecific word. And this is how language works. Most of the time, we don't understand what we're saying to each other. Because we don't stop to think it through and ask questions. Aaron Spikes, what is a woman? There's a word of a lot of have trouble defining. Well, Shakespeare had that one locked down for you. He says, what is woman but a lock of hair? 
Now, philosophically, that means a lot. As far as a descriptive form and function definition, not a whole lot. So, eh. <laughs> okay, form and function. Very important. You're going to hear me say that. If, if For however long you listen to this show, you'll hear me talking about form and function. That's what defines together. And it's still a very amorphous, <laughs> meaning it's not really strictly and hard defined. It's, it, it's not going to have hard contained edges that you can control, which is what people like John do. It's one of their problems is they want to control everything. Well, you can't. And in this case, form and function are often defined by the perception of those who are viewing it. Okay. It, what's that? Well, it's a cell phone, Joe. Eh, paperweight. Eh, can be. Yes. Remember, pencils, right? Pencils. This is a writing tool. No, this is not. This is an amusement tool for when you're bored in class and you got to have pe pencil wars. That's why you didn't want to fight anybody with pencil fights. You didn't want anybody that had a rubber pencil because you couldn't beat them because the pencil would bend. Y'all ain't old enough to do pencil wars? Oh, well, the fun you missed. You probably never played paper football either on the desk. <laughs> Tracking devices, yes. We put a microphone and the GPS inside it of it. And we can even still have a Twitter that will write, Mr. Spikes. Yes, it's now it is a pencil in the tracking and, and listening device as well. Still pencil, right? See how it gets? See, see, see. So when you're talking about definitions, let's say I have a microphone and a, and a small camera and a GPS in this thing with a little battery and in a transmitter that can transmit outside the room and it's still able to write, you know, it's little inspector gadget gifts. What is it? Well, it's a microphone. It's a camera. It's a transmitter. It's a spy pencil. It's a G yeah, it's a spy pencil. Well, see? See? It, it, and yet, if you break it down to into each individual component, you're wrong. You've only defined part. Of see, what happens now is one of you has the elephant by the trunk, by the trunk. Uh, by the leg, by the tail, by the side, by the ear. You got to look at the whole thing. So you come up with Charlie's definition. It's a spy pencil. Well, what's a spy? Well, maybe I should call it a surveillance pencil. Well, it, it, what type of surveillance? Covert. You see, we can play all sorts of games with our language. But we think of it that way. We think of it as games when actually what we should be thinking of it is, is like Mr. Holt and Mr. Toller were saying earlier. Spend a little more time being more specific with your words, more deliberate with your words. You know, it'll do a couple of things here. Slow you down because you got to think about them now. How do I, what do I want to say and how do I want to structure it? And in the process, you might actually have a little time for your brain to catch up with your mouth because most of us, we talk faster than we think. I got the opposite problem. It's just, just, just me. But sometimes my mouth runs away before my brain catches up. I, so I know what I'm talking about here, but you might have to slow down and in the process go, Oh, wait a minute. Or you might hear yourself saying it and go, wait a minute. That's not going to sound right. So when you do speak, you're going to sound actually a little bit more thoughtful and a little more intelligent. 
And then when you speak, they're going to have a lot harder time. They're going to understand you better. You're going to be clearer. And they're going to have a lot harder time going, no, because most people just listen so that they can object. Well, nail them down before they have a chance to object by being specific with what you say. If you've ever heard me in a formal debate with somebody, those of you who've been here for a long time, when we first had a few phone calls coming over from the uh, Freedom Networks with Steve, Steve Nichols' audience, we had a few naysayers that would call in. If you listen to any of those calls, like the one with Mr. Ford, I don't know if you noticed, Charlie, you might have noticed, I changed the entire way I talk. I got very specific with my language. I asked him a lot of questions to nail him down on his definitions. I got very detailed and descriptive in what I was saying. And it took all of about two minutes to rope Mr. Ford into a, into a corner real quick. And he did the roping. He roped himself. But what I was doing is using language as a weapon, not to hurt or harm, but to defend myself and my ideas and, and my thoughts and my arguments. And I did it in a way by turning the language against him without being ugly or rude or even being disingenuous to him. I just nailed him down. I made him define his terms, and then I used my terms to such an extent that he couldn't put words in my mouth. And it took all of a few minutes for him to start calling me names. You can do the same thing. It's just something you practice. So we're about to go to break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about another definition. What does it mean to be human being? Oh, boys and girls, I want you to think about this. I am going to show you some things that are going to shock you. But we're going to talk about form and function and what does it mean to be a human being? This is not going to be a joke conversation. And I did not realize it. I did not plan it this way, but it springboards directly off of what we've just been discussing. And you will see the ramifications of going with form or function. And you'll see how quickly things get resolved when you put them both back together. We'll be back in six minutes.
Okay. A couple of things real quick on the board, and it'll pick up right where we left off. Mr. Tolar says, nothing is a weapon unless it is used in that fashion. True and false, because he also said something else that's true. Everything is a tool. How you use it defines it. Well, a weapon is a tool, so everything is a weapon. Says nothing's a weapon unless you use it that way, but yet everything can be a weapon. Both are true. So is part of the definition of an, a weapon potential? The potential to be used as a weapon still requires human agency, doesn't it? Ah, this is not nothing. We are about to have a very philosophical hour. This... The original weapon was a rock. Yes. Well, no. The original weapon was the spoken word. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, Satan yeah, you found could, out. Yeah, yeah, you could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, define human for me, folks. And I want you to think about that. Is there going to be any aspect of the human being, the, the definition of what is human? And is it just going to be what you look like? Is it going to be how you work, what you do? Like Aaron was saying um, a little while ago, where did that come? Right here. He says, uh, Mr. Spike says, I just had something said to me. This is made in his image. Doesn't just mean our physical appearance. It's also about having the attributes of Yahweh. How well do we actually image him? Not just his attributes, his character, his nature, but also doing his work, form, and function. So all of that, how he, how he might look and how his character and his attributes, his nature, and then what does he do? Do we create? Yes, we create. That's, that's Yahweh's, the function of Yahweh. That's how he works. Do we, we were told to subdue. We were told to be good stewards. We were told to take care of each other. Those are all Yahweh's functions in some way, shape, or form. Now, we're not Yahweh. We can't do it. You know, we can't do God at God's level, but we're still supposed to imitate and, Im, you know, be his imager. So what is human? Well, somewhere along the line, as Mr. Toller just showed us, potentiality may actually be part of the definition. Oh, boy, 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 boys and girls, as soon as I put potentiality in there, we've got a problem. But let's just stick that to the side for a minute. Let's just go with form. Is DNA part of the form of a human being? I hope you say yes. But if you do, is the unborn now human? No, they've got to be self-conscious, do they? When you're asleep, can I kill you? Well, no, Joe, because I'm, I'm a self-caught. No, you're not. Not at that moment. You're not. You have the potential to become self-aware and self-conscious again when you wake back up. But while you're asleep, or if I knock you out, you're no longer human by that definition. Unless I put potential in there. Now, once I put potential in there, is the unborn human again? Do you all see the problem? So you... When you start making a definition so that it fits your desired outcome, that's the fallacy of affirming the antecedent. You have structured your argument such that you get the conclusion you wanted. That's fallacious, especially when you have to intentionally leave parts of the form and function of that thing out of the definition. Ah... So now what happens if I put a piece of metal in your head and connect you to a computer? Are you still human? 
or are you a machine? Can you be half of each? I don't know. If you have a uh, mechanical heart, are you still human? If you have a robotic arm, are you still human? Better yet, are you still the person you were when you were five? Not a cell in your body is the same anymore. Are you still the same person? So if you commit murder today, can I execute you 20 years from now? You're not the same person anymore. So now we've got philosophical and moral pinnings to the definition of human, don't we? You see how complicated this definition is getting? How quickly? How much thought have you given to it? Because this matters. Everything in the world, folks. Road Dog says we're Holy Spirit ever in human form. Uh, Not sure what you mean. Was the Holy Spirit ever in human form? Not sure what you're asking me, Road Dog. Put that in crayon for me. You're, you're speaking at too high a level. More, more, more people are going to have to start learning how to speak Marine. Let's, let's keep going for a minute. So what's personhood? Okay, personhood. We, we, we would connect that to our definition of human being human, wouldn't we? That's philosophical use. It's, it's definition is dedicated upon by belief, traditions, culture, et cetera, et cetera. What, what it means to be a person. Okay, then what's it mean to be human? The scientific usage, the label is given to someone who possesses the qualities based on biological makeup and other scientific attributes. Well, wait a minute. Human is the physical form. Personhood's not really the function. Personhood is something entirely different. That, that's got nothing to do with form or function. Personhood is, well, what is that? We've got something else that just threw into the definition of a person. I know what the function of an animal is. I don't think in terms of personhood to an animal. The function of the cow is to do what cows do. But I don't think in terms of personhood. And right here in this little picture we're looking at where they intersect, a person is a human and a human is a person. But what we're actually discussing now is, are they? Does personhood, let's just say we mean sentience, self-awareness. Well, if you're asleep, you're not a person. If you're unborn, they say you're not a person yet. If I knock you out, you're no longer a person because you don't actually at that moment have personhood. Unless, of course, we throw potential into the mix. And as soon as I throw the concept of potentiality in there, oh boy, do things get crazy. And we start weaving some very tangled webs. Because like, Definition of human. This comes from a dictionary. It's any living or extinct member of the family of hominid or whatever, characterized by superior intelligence, articulate speech, and erect carriage. As an adjective, it's having human form of attributes as opposed to those of animals or blah, 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 blah. So that's the definition of human. Really? Really. So if I have a mute human being who can't talk, they're not human. Guess what? Stephen Hawking was not a human according to this definition. And it says superior intelligence. Superior to what? There are humans that are still human, and you and I recognize them as human, but they are not intellectually, by different forms of measuring, on level with a dolphin or a higher primate. So are they human? Or is the dolphin and the primate also human? 
Uh-huh. See the problem we're having? Now, by this definition, all of those were human. But so they say. How do we know they could use language? How do we know that all of these different hominids actually walked all right? How about how, maybe some of them, they usually walked on all fours and only stood upright sometimes. Mm-hmm. This is a problem, folks. This is not a dis- problem without a, a difference. Here, I want you to pay attention right here. I'm going to introduce you to somebody. This is Peter Singer. It says, of course, infanticide needs to be strictly legally controlled and rare, but it should not be ruled out any more than abortion. Y- yes, boys and girls, that man just said we should be allowed to kill our children. Yes. In fact, his argument is this. From taking life, humans, says, if one accepts abortion, if you accept that is okay, the case for killing other human beings in certain circumstances is strong. I accept abortion. Therefore, the case for killing other human beings in certain circumstances is strong. Now, the problem here is that's not just Mr. Sanger's argument. That's the argument anybody who supports abortion is making, whether they want to admit it or not. Now, that argument can be used to get rid of Jews or whites or blacks or whatever you want or Christians or Muslims. Now, what do you do with it? Uh-huh. It all depends on how you define human, doesn't it? Well, let's meet Mr. Sanger real quick. I want you to throw this up here. This is Peter Sanger. We're on the Encyclopedia Britannica. I'll blow this up. I just want to read a little bit of this. I want you to know who he is. He's born July 6, 1946, Melbourne, Australia. He's an Australian ethical and political philosopher, best known for his work in bioethics in his role as one of the intellectual founders of modern animal rights movement. Okay, you would think, given his family lineage, he'd know better than this. He says, Singer's Jewish parent immigrants to Australia from Vienna in 1938 to escape Nazi persecution following the Anschluss. Three of Singer's grandparents were subsequently killed in the Holocaust. Okay. That's what I wanted you to know about him right now. Now I want you to see this. This is from Christian Research Institute. This is the article. I grabbed the important parts. We're going to save that. I'm going to put you here so that you can see it. And I'm also going to throw the link to this article into the comment section for you here real quick. If you want it, you can get it later. Charlie, if you'd grab that from one of them and stick it in the permanent notes of uh, Rumble for me, I'd appreciate that. All right, here's from the Christian page. Thank you, sir. Death with a happy face. Peter Singer's bold defense of infanticide. This article first appeared in volume 23, number three issue of the Christian Research Journal. For further information and subscribe to the Christian Research Journal, go to da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It says in 1933, and I know about this man, I've mentioned him before, but I want you to meet him finally today. In 1933, ethicist Peter Singer shocked many Americans by suggesting that no newborn should be considered a person until 30 days after birth and that the attending physician should kill some disabled babies on the spot. Five years later, his appointment as decamp professor of bioethics at Princeton University ignited a firestorm of controversy. 
though his ideas about abortion and infanticide were hardly new. In 1979, he wrote, human babies are not born self-aware or capable of grasping that they exist over time. They are not persons. Therefore, the life of a newborn is of less value than the life of a pig, a dog, or a chimpanzee. So in other words, you have to have the concept that you exist over time to be human. Before we finish reading, let me explain to you what this means. By definition, anything that takes away your mental cognition that you exist over time as a human, you no longer qualify as human. So all I have to do in Mr. Singer's world by his ethics to eliminate that man from this world is thump him on the head, knock him out. Now I can kill him because he no longer possesses it at that moment. So we should kill everyone that develops Alzheimer's. According to Sanger, yes. Everybody who's asleep should be killed. I know this sounds crazy to people. You say, well, Joe, you're taking this at, you know, ad, absurd, ad absurdum, whatever. You're taking it to, no, I'm not. You see, the problem is Sanger constructed his definition of human such that he could get to this conclusion. In the process, he excluded potentiality. He also excluded a lot of other things. He said the only thing that makes you human is being self-aware. Well, then a great many animals are self-aware. Or at least you can't prove they're not. And yet you know they're not animal. Why? Remember that picture we just looked at with personhood? Personhood is neither form nor function. Ah, personhood is whatever that is that says what is the good life what is the moral life what is the purpose of life that is neither form nor function that is something that exists outside of definition you can't define it not in the terms we're talking about and singer ignores this he's not alone I continue, Peter Singer is not alone in these beliefs. As early as 1972, philosopher Michael Tooley bluntly, he bluntly declared that a human being possesses a serious right to life only if it possesses the concept of self as a continuing subject of experience and other mental states and believes that it is itself such a continuing entity. Infants do not qualify. Well, neither does this man. All I got to do is get him drunk. If he's drunk enough, if he's high on peyote, I can kill him because he will no longer have a concept of that. All I got to do is get him inebriated enough where he doesn't understand it. By his own definition, he removed himself from the human condition. I continue with the article. More recently, American University philosophy professor Jeremy Raymond has asserted that unlike mature human beings, notice what he just said, mature human beings, no definition, right? Infants do not possess in their own right a property that makes it wrong to kill them. He explicitly holds that infants are not persons with a right to life and that there will be permissible exceptions to the rule against killing infants that will not apply to the rule against killing adults and children. You see where we started? 
in the womb, now out of the womb. He has, Singer has since said we should be able to kill children up to the point that they realize that they continue. That's three years old, roughly, thereabouts. And he has said that. Singer doesn't tell us why self-awareness belongs to the concept of personhood. That's an unsupported assertion. That makes it fallacious. It should be rejected for that reason alone. He merely asserts it, that it does. In so doing, he espouses a doctrine known as functionalism. The belief that what defines human persons is what they can and cannot do. In other words, it's got nothing to do with form. It's entirely function. He's left out half the freaking definition of human being. Good little progressive. Though laudable for his candor, Singer's case for infanticide is seriously flawed and fails to make a number of critical distinctions. Meanwhile, his Darwinian worldview leaves us a philosophically and morally bankrupt with no reason to act ethically in any context. There's no difference between abortion and infanticide, not in his world. If you go to the Encyclopedia Britannica and you look him up, he's actually the one who wrote the piece in Encyclopedia Britannica on bioethics. Even though in their biographical, they talk about how wrong this man is. So why is he the author of your piece on bioethics, Encyclopedia Britannica? Moreover, in his bio, it says he is an adherence to utilitarianism. This is a philosophy that was best espoused by a man named John Stuart Mills. This is the philosophy of the American libertarian movement. And essentially it says whatever produces the most happiness and reduces the most pain or unhappiness is the best thing to do. So because that child's going to have an unhappy life, I'm doing the moral thing by killing it. No, you're making yourself happier. You didn't give any calculation to the child. You just wanted it dead. You know what the problem with John Stuart Mill's utilitarianism is? One of the world's best adherents to it was the Nazi party. The Holocaust is the perfect execution of utilitarianism. Which is probably why the utilitarian view that has been used to support abortion is the greatest Holocaust that's been known to mankind. If you are a libertarian, you better be real careful because the majority of your philosophical founding is rooted in John Stuart Mill's thinking. And it will land you right here if you follow it logically. So just a word of caution. Now, Mr. Singer likes this death with a happy face, you know, because he's not just going to be cruel to these babies, wants to kill them with a happy face, you know, kindly, so that there's, y'all remember this guy? George Bernard Shaw said the same exact freaking thing when he wanted to get rid of the Jews or the useless eaters. So, okay, well, this, I guess this is all progressives, right, Joe? Well, no. It gives a new meaning to kill them with kindness, right? Yeah. Worthless people live only to eat and drink. People of worth eat and drink only to live. Plato. What? Worthless people live only to eat and drink, which what George Bernard Shaw called useless eaters. Remember, Mr. Shaw said, 
uh, madam or sir, would you be so kind as to justify your existence? And if you can't, we will kill you humanely, but yes, we will kill you. Were you all in that class? He was a Fabian socialist. You know them in the United States as progressives. You know them in other parts of Europe as fascists and communists. It is all the same mentality. They are secular humanists. Man is his own God. And that man's saying the same thing right there. The Greeks, eh, you're worthless if all you do is live to eat and drink. Now, be very careful with this because he's not entirely wrong. Depending on how you define human, I wish that I had known the lesson plan a little farther in advance. I would have drawn my own version of this with three circles. Human being form. What is the scientific definition of what it means to be the human animal, the human organism? Then I would have done function. What it means to, how does a person act and behave, the characteristics of what people do? Then I'd have done personhood. Because I have seen many people that don't seem to be consciously aware going through life. They act and react strictly off of instinct. They're people who live to eat and drink and procreate. Those who are living for other purposes, that seems to be those who, they exercise their own free will and their intellect. So Plato is not entirely wrong in his observation. And you'll find this in the scriptures even with Peter saying that they're human animals that are fit only for slaughter. He's talking about people who have a depraved mind, who have who have given up personhood. Now, I want to show you something else. Wild or feral children. Yeah, you know, the the Greek or Roman whatever, you know, mythology of the two brothers that were raised by the wolves. Only this is real. That's not a fake picture. That's that's real. That's a that's a little girl who had horrible parents. That picture's real. Her name is Oksana Malaya. She was eight-year-old Ukrainian girl who lived uh, with the Black Russian Terriers for six years. She was found in a kennel with dogs in 1991. She was neglected by her parents, who were alcoholics. The three-year-old at that time, looking for comfort, crawled into the um, into the farm and snuggled with the dogs. Her behavior imitating the dogs more than humans. She walked on all fours, bared her teeth, and barked. And she was removed from her parents' custody by the social services. As she lacked human contact, she did not know any words other than yes and no. And upon adulthood, with a lot of work from what I did, a research, she was able to subdue her dog-like behavior. But it took a lot of work from what they say. Uh, She learned to speak fluently, but not with a full vocabulary. And she's intelligent. She works on a farm milking cows, but remains somewhat intellectually impaired. Okay. Is she still human? When they found her, did she have any concept of tomorrow? Would you count her as human? The form says she's human. Is she? Now, this is where she's been cleaned up a little bit, folks. But when they first found her, she was, they don't have pictures of that. But this was real. And there are other pictures of this. There's there's other examples of these things happening. So let me ask you, is she human? When she's wild and feral, is she a human? I say yes. Would Peter Singer, with these 
bioethicists that tell us what is and isn't ethical. And if you ever read those men's writing, they never use the word moral. That's because ethical and moral do not hold the same connotation. They don't mean the same thing. So when you use ethics in place of morality, be careful. If you do it on purpose, you are committing a gross equivocation. And I will jump on you in a heartbeat if I'm around that conversation. If you do it accidentally, you are stepping into something that you can blur the lines into making people think all sorts of atrocities are permissible just because it's ethical. Ethical means the law says you can do it. Moral says whether or not you should. Clay Toller says we were all feral at one time in history. Were we? I don't know. Depends on whether or not you believe the scriptures or how you interpret them. Human behavior flows from three main sources, desire and emotion and knowledge. Desire and emotion. What do you want? And just whether or not you're scared, hungry, frightened, happy, whatever. Those two on the left are animalistic. Knowledge, reason, the mind. Form and function. The human animal can be defined by form and function. But is that what we're talking about? Notice I have to say human animal. To be fully human is to also include personhood, is it not? So notice what Mr. Singer and his cohorts are trying to do. They want to define human as nothing more than an animal who knows that there's a tomorrow. My dog knows there's a tomorrow. Well, Joe, no, he doesn't. Yes, she does. She will put toys in different places of the yard and house so that they're there when she wants them. She knows there's a future. Why does the squirrel store the nut? Oh, it's just instinct. Is it? Instincts to eat. But they store them sometimes under the ground. Other times they store them in their home. They know there's a future. They know they need to eat tomorrow. Animals know there's a future. They have a sense of time. So by Singer's definition... Everything that lives at that level, that has that level of awareness, has personhood, is a human. His definition doesn't work. Some birds, some parrots and macaws and ravens, they know that there's a future. They can even mark time. Have you been around these animals? So have you noticed that secular humanists want to define man in a way that takes away the spiritual? Whatever we want to, and that ephemeral, undefinable, whatever. Personhood is spiritual. Personhood cannot be defined in the concrete. Comment on the board from Mr. Tolar says, if you live with the planet instead of just on it, seems like you'd be classified as feral. Eh. That or you're living with. You can still be a human and live with the planet instead of on it. Or both. Now let's go to Mr. Holt's show here. This is Dune. Let me explain the difference between a person and an animal. That's what's going on in this, this scene. This is where the, the Jesuit mother brings this box in to Paul Atreides. And he has to put his hand in the box. And she holds this poison 
uh, Quill at his, uh, this picture is reversed. It should be the other way around. It's his right hand. It's actually in the box, but this is a negative of the photograph. She holds his poison to his neck. And if he pulls his hand out, she's going to jab him and it'll probably, it kills, it kills animals. It won't kill humans. What it is is she doesn't know, is he an animal or is he a human? And the whole point here is the box psychosomatically, you know, through the brain, you know, nerve inductions causes pain, a burning sensation. And she tells Paul that a human being can override instinct and emotion. Your mind can override your instincts and emotions and your desires. So he can force himself to keep his hand there if he's human. And he does. And apparently, when you see the show, he holds his hand there way past what any other human child would have been able to do. Because Paul's only supposed to be 15 here in this show or thereabouts. And it even impresses the mother Jesuit because he, he's able to endure a lot of pain. That's what makes you human. You can go against your nature. You can fight the animal self. You can teach yourself to do things other than what instinct would have you do. You can discipline yourself, self-discipline. You can rise above the animal world. That's what's really going on here in this scene. This picture, same thing. This is a, a picture of how things go in life. Notice this is the hard decisions. You got to climb the hill to make the decisions. And then you got to stick to those decisions. But it makes for an easier life. Now, the easy decisions are like sliding down in the hole, man. It's no big problem. But it makes for a hard life trying to get. Well, if you go with the easy decisions, that feels good. Do it. Whatever you want. Let your emotions, you know, you avoid pain. This is how the United States got where we're at right now. The easy decision was to vote for somebody to give me extra money or to, to just go back to watching TV and not have to worry about the PTA meeting or the local, you know, board of chamber or commerce or whatever, or the, or the local government meeting or to go to a vote or get involved in politics. It was easier to just eat, drink and be merry. And now look where we're at. Now we got to climb a hill that we may not make it up. But if we'd have done what the founding fathers told us to do, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance, it would have been hard. But in the bigger things, life will be easy. See, the one where the hard decisions makes an easier life, that doesn't mean it's without bumps. Look, hard decisions. That's part of living through those decisions that you had to make. But that's natural law. The easy decisions with the hard life, that's what happens when we go against natural law. Now, the Greeks understood this. They said excellence is not a gift, but a skill that takes a practice. We do not act rightly because we are excellent. In fact, we achieve excellence by acting rightly. Now, if you don't know, this is Plato. If you don't know the Greeks, let me translate this a little bit better for you. Virtue is not a gift, but a skill that takes practice. We do not act virtuously because or we, we do not act rightly because we are virtuous. In fact, we achieve virtue by acting rightly. Now, the question then becomes, whose idea right? That's a different discussion. But what he's telling you here is, you don't become virtuous by obeying the animal instinct, the animal side of your nature. You become virtuous by doing what is right in spite of what your animal side wants you to be or wants you to do. So we have function of the human being is to act like an animal. 
the form is to look like a human being, you know, homo sapien, whatever, with the DNA and all of this stuff. That's the form and function. To eat and drink and reproduce is the function of the human animal. And this is the form and the function. What the heck is Plato talking about then? Huh? Now we've got a third part of the definition for a human being, don't we? Every definition that you're going to try and give without a spiritual aspect will fail. Every single time. If you think I'm wrong, <laughs> call up. I'll enjoy that conversation. I'll be polite. I'll be nice. But oh boy, that one's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. I've been there. I've fought that fight. My dean of philosophy lost and every philosophy professor on the left lost that fight with me when I was in school. It's or you a, can just watch our numbers on Rumble right now. Yeah. Yeah. This one's easy, folks. This one's easy. Easy to win. Now, what he says, for a man to conquer himself is the first and noblest of all victories. That, I'm going to get philosophical with you here. Very profound. Oh, my gosh, is this profound. If you conquer yourself, you're God, right? You can't conquer yourself. You cannot. It is not possible for a human being to totally conquer themselves. You will never, ever defeat your basal animal instincts. You cannot. So if you can, you're God. But the fact that you can fight against it tells you that there's a spark of the divine in you. Because otherwise, you'd be nothing more than an animal. So what Plato's telling us is that whatever it is that makes you a man, a human being, is different from what makes you a human animal. So what is that? Clay Toller says, so we are only humans if we live up to someone else's standards. No, that's not what it's, no. What I'm getting at here, Clay, is what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? The scriptures tell you that if you're going to live a depraved life, totally, you just reject God entirely. You become a secular humanist. Well, then Peter calls you nothing but animals to be given over to the slaughter. That's in Peter's letter. He calls those type of people animals. So, yeah, I guess you're only human according to the scriptures if you're living the way Yahweh tells you to live. But, see, even then, I got to, how does that work? Because although Plato may not be where I think he should be, he's not lost. He's not an animal. He's, he's not depraved. He's trying to lead what they call the, the good life, the, the virtuous life, the moral life, the excellent life, what we would call pursuit of happiness. But then you have... If you throw that potential in that we were talking about earlier, uh, you have the potential to repent and turn around and go. become. Plus, if if you're not wrestling with the spirit in some way, shape, or form, you're not capable of recognizing truth. And Plato has found some truth here, not clarified, but he's found truth. He's found natural law. But the deception of natural law is that it is too easy for men to turn it and worship themselves. 
rather than the creator of the natural law. But I'm not trying to turn this into a theology discussion today. This is about definitions. And the question remains, what exactly is a human being? And why do I have to say human animal from a human being, from a man, M-A-N, capital M-A-N, male and female, but you all know what I'm talking about. What, what makes this different? That's a question that I don't expect you to answer. Nobody, to the best of my knowledge, nobody's defined it yet. You won't even find that definition in the scriptures. There's just a certain, as the French would say, je ne sais quoi, a certain I don't know what, that you all instinctively know it. You know I'm right. A lot of us will ignore it, will reject it, will we'll, we'll refuse it, deny it. But you know I'm right. Peter Singer, if he and I were here together, oh man, I would. he'd take all his little letter degrees after his name and I'd play rope-a-dope with that fool. It'd be easy. It's too easy. His very nature of defending himself would, would play right into my hands. He just never stopped to think about what he was actually saying. He had a desired outcome based on his reasoning. It was fallacious. It still is. But he wasn't going to move. And he turned it into a career, and he became one of the leading voice on ethics, medical ethics in the United States of America. I personally think he's evil, but, you know, on the board, Mr. Holt says, what was it you said in a previous class? If you know the destination, you can determine the route to get there. Yes. Yes. That's also part of what Plato's talking about. Let's say I want to become the virtuous person like the, the Greek philosophers would talk about, okay? All I need to decide is what is good and what is bad and then start deciding what I got to do to get to the good life, the virtuous life. Now, I think we're going to meet the philosophers, at least Plato, Socrates, and, uh, and Aristotle, and we might even throw a few others in. I think we're going to, we need to meet them Friday. It's fallacy Friday, logic. I still want to talk Thursday about secession, a conspiracy theory. So don't worry. But um, I think we need to meet the philosophers, the Greeks, the classic philosophers, because they got a lot of wisdom there, sort of, kind of, their own. They missed the mark because they didn't keep asking what else, what's that mean, what's that mean? They, they, they wrestled with the idea that if I could just define it, I control it. Doesn't work that way. They should have known. They should have known by their own failures. They were never able to define a lot of things. One last um, meme that I had for you here. He who is unable to live in society or who has no need because he is sufficient for himself must be either a beast or a god. So if you can't live in society, if you're lawless, if you're a criminal, I would say you're beast. But if you're not going to live in our society because it's beneath you, the little people, oh my God, I've got to live up in Elysium, up in the clouds. These people are just, eh. you think you're a god. Hmm. 
Now, let me ask you a question. This is not Plato this time. This is Aristotle. So you're either a god or a beast if you don't live in society. We've got people who think that they're above the law in this world right now. Everybody that goes to Davos is part of that crowd. I told you these people think they're gods. Aristotle's calling them that because they don't want to live in society. They want to remake it. They don't like it. They want to, they, they're totally self-sufficient. They don't need anything, but they have to save us from ourselves. And then the folks that those people want to keep from executing when they do nothing but murder, rape, and pillage when they're turned loose in society, those people are beasts. And in this case, it happens to be that the beasts are serving the elite who think they're gods. Hence BLM. Now, I'm supposed to define all of those people as human. Scriptures say I'm supposed to. Do they, though? You know that not every human being is called a child of God in the Scripture, right? Just because you're human doesn't make you the child of, of God, of Yahweh, not according to Scriptures. So how do I define this? I don't know. I'm not telling you I know. I don't. What I'm trying to point out is we went over the first hour how you define things, what a word is, and why its definition means something. And then I tried to show you form and function. But in the case of humans, form, function, higher purpose. You're a moral agent. Now, the only operative definition I've ever been able to derive on my own, this is Joe's definition of human, is that you have the the you are a moral agent. You have that characteristic about you is that you're a moral agent. Now, that does not mean that you could always tell right from wrong. It means you're morally accountable. But to who? Well, I like Mr. Singer saying if you're human, it means you can see that you continue into the future. But he thinks until death. I think he screwed up. You instinctively know you continue past death, and you'll be judged. Now, let's just say you're mentally incompetent. Scriptures says, don't worry, where there is no law, there's no condemnation. If you're mentally incompetent, you don't understand the law, so there is no law. And it may be that that's a great blessing in your life. You otherwise would have destroyed yourself. You don't know. You won't know until judgment day. But for those of us who do know, and we choose wrong all the time, even though we know what right is, oh boy, just what scripture says, doubly accountable if you're a teacher, because you knew better. You're a moral agent. Not potential to be. You're a moral agent from the time of conception till the time of birth. And as a moral agent, you're duty-bound to live the moral life. So your question of what's the purpose of life is very simple. To find the source of morality, follow it as best you understand it. Unfortunately, for people like Peter Singer, they think the source of morality is in their mirror. And that's what it means to be secular humanist. 
Others think it's Muhammad or Joseph Smith or Buddha who told everybody, don't make me into a God. I'm not, this is not a religion, but they didn't listen. Or you're Hindu and you just throw whoever you want in there as a God. That's okay. If you've got a thousand gods, that, that negates the idea of God, but that's all right. Whatever. Do what you want with it. But think about what it means to be human. All right. Questions on the board? Talked out. That's a lesson. Charlie, anything to wrap us up? Nope. Uh, I think we covered everything in the comments. So We good? Yep. All right, folks. Tomorrow's Worship Wednesday. Don't quite know yet. He'll give me something before we get there. He always does. We love each and every one of you, and we thank you for being here. If you do appreciate Charlie's work today, get that thumbs up button going up there for him. The thumbs up signs on this show got nothing to do with the logarithms. I mean, I, I really don't care. That's how you tell Charlie and when she's here, Natasha, that you appreciate their contribution to the show. If you like what we are doing here as a group, and you can tolerate my big mouth, Please share the show with your friends, family, and everybody else that you know that you think benefit from it. Send them the link directly. If all you do is put it on your Facebook page, somebody might see it, but probably not many. We are being throttled. We know that as a fact. Um, but share it with them and then just tell them whatever you want to tell them about me. The only thing I'm going to ask is you tell them, hey, give the show a chance, man. It builds on itself and you have to go, you know, like today, we we built on several shows from from the past. And if you weren't in on them, this wasn't as big a big of a learning curve. I mean, as big as a learning potential for you as, as those others. I connected some fireflies for you today. If you've been in the in the classroom for a while, I put a lot of stuff together for you today. I'll let you do it, man, because the better teachers just tell you where to look. They don't tell you what to find. I'm trying to still work on that. I I, I tell you what you'll find a little too often, but I'll get better. I'm, I'm working on it. Other than that, y'all stay safe, take care of yourselves, and we will see you here tomorrow. If not Thursday, but hopefully tomorrow. That's the most important day of the week. See ya. Bye.